0: Thinking Aloud. Conversations on the Leading Edge of Knowledge and Discovery with Psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring the cultivation of physical mediumship. My guest, Robin Foy, I'm honored to be with today, is probably the most prominent proponent of physical mediumship perhaps in the last century. Robin is the author of In Pursuit of Physical Mediumship. He also is the author of Witnessing the Impossible. Robin was the founder of the Noah's Ark Society, an organization involved in the promotion and cultivation and study of physical mediumship. He is also the founder of the Skoll Group, a mediumistic circle that produced some of the most impressive documented phenomenon related to survival of human consciousness of the last century that has been reported in books and in reports to the Society for Psychical Research. Robin is based in Spain, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Robin. It's a real pleasure to be with you today and to be able to share your wealth of experiences with the New Thinking Aloud audience.
1: Pleased to be here.
0: There's so much to talk about. You're uh, launching a a new venture right now. Why don't we begin by just uh, telling our viewers a little bit about what you're currently engaged in?
1: This venture basically is a continuation of the very famous experiment now that we held at Skoll in the 1990s, between 1993 and 1998, uh, when we had a spirit team we were working very closely with who who actually uh, brought about a brand new way of working with physical mediumship. Uh, What they did really, instead of using ectoplasm, which was the traditional way of working with physical mediumship, uh, they formed an entirely new way using only a mix of three different types of energy. And these three different types of energy were the first, was actually energy brought by the spirit team themselves when they came to work with us, Secondly, was the energy uh, of the sitters. Uh, And thirdly, um, there was the the energy that was um, sort of around and about the the earth plane. Uh, The three different types, when blended together, formed a creative energy. And it was this creative energy which the spirit team was able to use to produce phenomena. Uh, And after we had Uh, finished the experiment at Skoll, which unfortunately only lasted five years until 1998. Uh, The the spirit team actually dictated to us during that time uh, a short um, sort of uh, pamphlet, well not pamphlet, it's a 72-page booklet actually, um, which uh, tells anyone else who wants to develop physical mediumship exactly how to go about it uh, and, and exactly what they need and and what they're likely to expect. And this this booklet now we had several hundred copies printed in the beginning. They've all gone, and it's only available to download actually from the internet now. Um, but several hundred people have used this over the years uh, and had really really successful results. So you know we have done extremely well with the spirit team working with energy. Um, having said that, when skull finished um we were were uh, moved by the, uh, by spirit um to to come to spain and we didn't really understand entirely why we were wanted over here at that time uh but we we came over here to spain in 2006 and we've been living in a very very small apartment here on the costa blanca um but in 2007 uh we actually had um, a couple of, of physical mediums who were working with Energy too came to stay with us. They were from Glasgow in Scotland uh, and they were getting very good phenomena. And whilst they were over here, uh, we had three sittings with them. Uh, and during those three sittings, all of our spirit team, including uh, the ET that we'd been in contact with during the skull experiment, all materialized in the room quite solidly, so we were able to interact with them. Uh, And uh, they told us that we would be starting a center in Spain. Um, They wouldn't give us, this is in 2007, they wouldn't give us the actual location of where this was going to be, except they did give us 25 clues. Um, We were told that the name of the town started with an A, uh, uh and there was a mountain very close by that was a sacred mountain uh and which had a portal between the spirit world uh and and the earth uh and that was one of the reasons they wanted us over here to work in its close vicinity Um there were also um uh, well yeah there, there, there were also um uh burial mounds uh which are in this place and that they were 6,000 years old. So these 25 clues, um, I researched them and it pointed to only one place in the whole of Spain. It couldn't be anywhere else. Oh, there'd also been UFO sightings there. Uh, and this had to be a place called Antiquera, uh in Spain, which is in Andalusia and which is approximately 260 miles south of us here where we are on the Costa Blanca. Uh, so, of course, the interesting thing here was that uh, we thought we'll we'll go and have a look at this place, um, which we did in July in 2007. Uh, we drove down, it was a long journey, say 200, 240, 50 miles, uh, and we arrived, I don't know, sort of about sort of 12-ish midday getting a bit hungry because we hadn't had any breakfast. So we thought, first of all, we'd go and look for this sacred mountain. Uh, and on the road between Anticara and the sacred mountain, which is is only about five miles away from Anticara, um, we spotted a, a a restaurant. We thought we'll stop here and have some lunch. At this point, I, sh- I should say that a few months previously, we'd actually um, driven all the way back to the UK And whilst there, Sandra had had um, uh, a a sitting with a a, a medium who was um, a mental medium, um, clairaudient, clairvoyant, Uh, and her mother had come through at that meeting and said that you are going to go to a centre in Spain. You're going to start it. uh, And whilst you're in Anticare, you must watch out for goats with bells on. Um, So we didn't really think too much about that at the time. But when we arrived in Antikara and we stopped at this restaurant, it looked as though it was closed and we were just about to drive away when a little old chap looked in his 90s, sort of looked out from one of the windows and said, no, come on in, I'll cook you a meal. Uh, And uh, that's exactly what we did. We went in, we had a lovely meal there. I was sitting with my back to one of the windows. Sandra was sitting facing the window. And all of a sudden she said to me, oh, my God, and I spun round and there coming down the hill and um, just outside the restaurant were hundreds of goats with bells on round their necks so this obviously was exactly what her mother had told her in spirit and so it was evidential for us and um, what we didn't realize at that time and only realized uh, for the first time about 5 years ago was the fact that this restaurant was actually the premises in which they wanted us to start the center Um, but uh, we went on from there and we looked at the Torcal, and there's no doubt about it. We do think it's a very, very sacred mountain and I'm sure that there probably is a portal in there, which is is something that will come into our work at a later stage. So that's what we did at that time and when we drove back to the hotel, uh, because we booked into the hotel before we left to go and look at the mountain, um, we had taken with us all of the crystals which we laid out in a in a particular pattern during our sittings on the table um, during in our seance room uh, and we left them in a in a plastic bag uh, sitting on a table in the bedroom uh in in which in you know in, in the hotel we'd booked into and when we came back from the meal and looking at the mountain uh, the crystals had been taken out of the bag and they had been set on this table exactly in the pattern in which we set them when we sat at Skoll. So again, that was quite evidential for us and obviously um, there was physical phenomena going on for that to happen. So that went on and over the years um, we went backwards and forwards to Anticara, looking for a property we thought would be suitable for this centre. Uh, And in the meantime, we'd been back to, to the UK Several times, and we had friends in in France that were living in France, uh, and he was also developing physical mediumship at that time, and was a good mental medium. Uh, and we told him that we were looking for uh, for this centre in Anticara, uh, and the passing remark he gave us um, when we left him in the morning was, "You will know when you found the right place when you see eagles flying over it." So, okay, fair enough, and. Uh, Uh, About five years ago, we were down in Anticara, and we just happened to be passing this restaurant that I've told you about, uh, and there was a banner across the front of it offering it for sale. And so we thought, well, this might well be interesting, Uh, and we uh, we drove up to the, the restaurant. Just as we were getting out of the car, we looked up and there ahead of us were two golden eagles flying overhead so we thought well okay that's it this is going to be the place eventually uh, and uh we looked at the price and we we didn't have the money to uh, to pay for the the place at that time so we we left it for a couple of years on and off and we we'd been having sittings uh in spain from time to time sometimes we got phenomenal sometimes we didn't um but uh about 4 years ago now Uh, I had a telephone reading um, with a a medium called Sandy Ingham. Uh, She is a fantastic psychic artist. Um, She works in the States as well as in the UK and various other countries. Uh, And uh, I didn't know um, to begin with that that she she was an artist, but I'd been sent a a book um, which was really all about the whole of, of, of mediumship. And in this book, the, the woman that wrote it had had sittings with two mental mediums who she recommended. And one of those mediums was Sandy Ingham. Uh, and during my reading with Sandy Ingham, um, her guides came through, told us everything about our own guides, got them ev- ab- absolutely accurate and evidential. And she'd never met me or heard of me before. Uh, and we were told at that time, get on with it. You've got to start a, a, a foundation or or a uh, an organisation of some type and raise the funds to buy this property. Well, that's exactly what we did. Uh, and uh, over the the um, uh, five year period, we'd been or four year period, we'd been trying to raise enough money. Uh, the selling price was round about two hundred and twenty five thousand. It had started out at about four hundred thousand and gone down from that price to about two hundred and twenty five thousand. But all we could raise basically um, was 37,000 euros. So we didn't have anything like enough to to actually buy the property. Um, But it was suggested to us by another medium um, that we approach the owners to see if they would do a deal with us where um, we could do a rent to buy option uh, and put down a 10 percent deposit uh, on the price of the property. And then rent it over a period of two or three years, uh, in which time we could make the effort to sort of we'd run the centre, but we'd we'd also fundraise to try and get the money together um, to buy this property permanently. Um, well, we we used a little a, a little organisation who were interpreters and had all a legal branch and everything, uh, and they they acted as as go betweens for us, and they discovered that a, a year ago this property had actually been bought. It had laid dormant for, for four years um, and then it had been bought by a chap who, uh, who wanted to turn it into a bed and breakfast um, sort of a, a accommodation thing with a restaurant downstairs. Now, he had spent a lot of money on it, a lot of time on it doing this. Uh, but then um, COVID came along. He owns a, another restaurant which is very popular in the area and he's been very successful with it. Um, But his restaurant had been totally closed down by the Spanish government because of this COVID business. So he had a a cash flow problem uh, and he jumped at the idea of us having um, a buy to rent option on this over a two year period. uh, And a figure of 300,000 was agreed as the the price of this property. Well, we learned that he he had paid only 190,000 but he'd spent a lot of money on it himself. Uh, And the bank were now valuing this property at 365,000. So we thought 300,000 is not an unreasonable price. And on that, we have to uh, put down a 10% deposit. So we had raised about 37,000 euros, um, of which we were going to have to spend 30,000 on this, um, two or 3,000 on... uh, uh, on the organisation who was setting it up for us, uh, and some legal fees. So we had actually raised just enough, and this very often happens when Spirit wants something to uh, take place, um, to actually have this um, deal and work this deal, um, so that we could work on a, a two-year, a, a two-year rent-to-rent-to-buy option, and that's basically where we are at the moment. We're thinking in terms of actually starting this agreement in July. So we're intending to move lock, stock and barrel from where we are down to Anticara to actually live in this property Uh, and nearby to us in the meantime, in the organization that we've started, which will be known as the Spiritual Science Founders Association. Spiritual science uh, was uh, was mentioned by our spirit team way back in the 90s uh, and they told us it's it's a pure science, very much the same as physics, chemistry and biology, um, but it's a pure science that's dedicated to life and the afterlife. Um, So this is a a science that can be studied, of course, uh, and in a scientific research way that's exactly what we want to do. But we also want to be able to demonstrate to the public um, exactly what physical mediumship is and to allow members of our organization to share that with us by sitting with us and and experiencing this phenomenon for themselves Uh, and that's what we're hoping to do. So, we are trying to get as many members as we can for this organization Uh, and the the cost to join is only 20 euros a year, so it's a very small amount, Um, but in so doing it will bring some funds in for us uh, and we are still getting a few donations coming through there. But we think that we can make a go of it. But during the time that we've had this organization going, um, we met a German couple about three years ago. Now, the German couple um, are very much going to be involved with us in in running this organization. Um, They are living at the moment near, um, uh, not Frankfurt, near um, Cologne in Germany, and they will be moving also not into the centre, um, but close to the centre, about 25 minutes away by car. Uh, But he, uh, Uwe Siegert, is a very, very good physical medium, working with energy, the same as we did at Skoll, and they're getting excellent phenomena. So he will be involved in the work that we're doing there, in the experiments we're doing, and in the demonstrations that we want to give um, to our members mainly, but also eventually to the public.
0: Well, it's a great adventure you're about to embark on. We're now speaking at the uh, latter part of April, but uh, so within 90 days you'll actually be living on those premises.
1: That's 16 days, yes.
0: Let me also say, for individuals who are watching the video right now and are interested in supporting your work, that uh, they can use PayPal to send a $20, or 20 euro membership fee to your email address and we will post your email address to which that fee can be sent in the description of this video. Uh, and now, Robin, let me ask you, uh, let's go back to the beginning of your exploration. I think you started your first encounters with physical mediumship back around 1973, which coincidentally is the year that I entered my own doctoral study program in parapsychology at the University of California. So, in our own way, uh, you you and I are part of the same generation and we both have about a half a century of uh, inquiry uh, behind us. So, I'm very interested in uh, your whole story
1: going back to the beginning of it there's an awful lot in between so you may find that you need to put out a few more videos um but uh the, it, i was sort of coming up to uh, 30 years old and it's nearly 48 years ago now uh and uh throughout my childhood i had certainly been interested in in ghost stories and anything to anything of that type um in fact my parents had bought me books on uh uh, sort of hauntings and ghosts and so forth um, And we used to have a, a, a sort of joke in the family When we went past some of these old houses That are, are sort of semi-derelict uh, Saying, oh, well, that must be haunted and things My mother w- was actually naturally psychic And she could have developed a very, very good clairvoyant mediumship um, But really we used to just sort of say Oh, that's one of mum's sort of... Uh, uh, <laughs> one one of her special um uh, sort of ideas but they turned out to be very evidential uh and uh it it during during this particular year um in uh, 1973 um i was uh actually in, in looking through a local paper i was living at that time in the uk and i was living close to a, a, a big city called uh, Leicester. uh and uh there was a Leicester uh, newspaper that came out on a weekly basis. And in that paper, there was an advert for anybody that was interested in psychic research. Uh, It didn't really say much about it, other than the fact that uh, that there was a box number to write to. Uh, And somehow I was looking at this advert and it appeared to me to actually be in bold type, although it wasn't in fact in bold type. And I felt that I had to respond to it um so i wrote to this uh, this character uh and it turned out to be a chap um who who was actually um uh called elmer brown i think he'd uh, he'd had uh, american parents uh and he he was a uh, he had a shop in the Leicester area but he he'd been uh, running circles for some time and the circles i should explain really a circle is basically um a number of people sitting together to try and develop um, physical phenomena. Now, he'd been sitting for many years and he'd made a lot of contacts and a lot of friends within the organization of spiritualism and so forth and so on. And I should say at this point that I'm not a spiritualist. Um, I look upon myself as a spiritual scientist. So I'm looking upon it from the study point of view uh, and not from a religious point of view in any way, shape or form. Although I have over the years had a lot of experience of of spiritualist churches uh, that I've visited and spiritualist mediums that I've visited to um, to verify, you know, sort of how mediumship works. But I I went along to this chap. I was invited to go to an interview uh, about his circle and I think he had a circle that sat once a week, uh, and I think he'd he'd had about 15 sitters in this circle and lost about uh, eight or nine of them over the years. Uh, and he was trying to sort of build up the circle to 12 or 13 again. Um, when I attended the interview there in Leicester with him, um, the house he was living in was quite some distance from the main road, about uh, 200 yards, I would say, from the main road. Uh, and. Behind it was a field, so there was nothing behind it. And when I visited him, it was dark. Um, so it wasn't likely to be anybody walking around in the field. On either side of his house um, was a gap of another 200 yards to the next house. Um, so he was very much a detached house away from the road, away from anything behind him. And he was talking to us about this circle, what it was all for and what physical mediumship was. Uh, And we listened to that and about two of the people there um, decided that they weren't really interested anyway and they went home. And in the meantime, this chap, Elmer Brown, said to us, would you like to see um, the room in which we sit? So the three of us or so that were left behind said, yes, that'd be great. Uh, And we walked sort of crocodile style up his stairs because the the room they sat in was... um, an annex over the top of his garage, but you had to go through his bedroom to get to it. Uh, and uh, as we were going up the stairs, um, every one of us heard quite distinctly a baby crying in midair. Uh, and uh, we all looked at one another and sort of said to the, the chap, you know, whose house it was, Well, oh, you, you, you've got a nephew in or a child or what have you? He said, no, no, there's no children here and there's no houses close by that have children. Uh, And I sort of said, well, this is what we'd heard. And uh, he said, well, maybe Spirit's trying to tell you something. So anyway, we went and had a look at this room that uh, they sat in. And it was pretty bare, Uh, just chairs around the room, actually, with their backs literally sitting against the wall. So nobody could uh, have got behind any of these chairs anyway. And in one corner was a very old fashioned uh, radiogram um, to play records. Uh, And that was about it. So. We came downstairs and sort of went home and I told them that I was interested in joining the circle, which I I subsequently did. And I sat with that circle every week um, for about a year and a half. Uh, And uh, uh, after I got home within the next two days, um, my first wife and I had applied to adopt a child. Uh, We had a telephone call from the adoption agencies to say, uh, we've got a baby for you. Come and collect him. Um, <laughs> so it couldn't have been much more evidential than that. Uh, exactly what spirit was saying, you know, sort of your first child's coming along. Uh, and uh, in that circle, the first time I sat in that circle, um, I had a, a. It was we were sitting in the dark, um, but people had had wristbands on with uh, luminous wristbands, so you could see if they moved around. Uh, and uh, I was poked in the back by a materialised finger as the very first time that I was there. Uh, and as we were singing during some of the songs, um, we could hear this little whispered voice between me, my right ear, and the lady on my right, her left ear, and we could both hear this little whispered voice singing the, along with us. And in that circle, we had a little bit of phenomena and, and we gradually sort of uh, developed a bit here and a bit there. But this chap. Um, knew a very, very famous physical medium called Leslie Flint, who lived in London. Uh, Leslie Flint was a a, a direct voice medium. So in other words, in Leslie Flint's seances, um, he would sit there and spirits would speak um, from midair and you'd be able to have a conversation with the spirits. And sometimes um, even uh, Leslie Flint himself would join in. So... You could tell it's not Leslie trying to uh, trying to speak when the voices were coming through. And about uh, it must have been about two months after I joined the circle and um, le- uh, we, we went down. Uh, Elmer sort of took us down to London for a sitting with Leslie Flint. And he was doing this on a regular basis. Uh, and during that sitting with Leslie Flint, um, I think we had about 15 spirit people spoke to us. Over a period of three hours, at anything up to 15 minutes at a time, we could carry on conversations with them. And they were speaking in their own voices when they'd been alive. Uh, and there was one of, a few famous people, but also people that no one had ever heard of. But we had some interesting conversations there. And over the, over the following years, I got to know Leslie Flint extremely well. And I took my own groups um, to visit Leslie Flint. Um, And, uh, you know, sort of we always got extremely good phenomena. Uh, Leslie died in 1994 and uh, we went to his his funeral. Uh, But um, that's how it all started. Uh, And then when I'd been in that circle for about 18 months, uh, I became redundant from my job, um, which was a sales manager at that time uh, for a papermaking company company uh, and uh, I had to sort of look around for a new job and the only job that I could get at that time was actually down in in uh, Kent uh, with bowwater 's paper making organization uh, and I, I I went to them as a, as a representative so I actually moved to london um, I was living in a a, a bed sit in London at that time uh, and uh, Living it during the week, sort of living in a little commercial hotel there. Uh, so whilst I was in London uh, for a period of a year or so, uh, I was going to all sorts of different spiritualist churches. I decided that I wanted to really research uh, mediumship altogether, and I went to so many different spiritualist churches, sort of sitting at the back and uh, and just listening to the mediums and discovering that some mediums were good and some mediums were bad and some mediums shouldn't even have been there. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it it was one of those things where you, you, because of the fact that I was looking at an awful lot of different cases, and also whilst I was there, I took the opportunity to have private sittings um, with about 200 different um, spiritualist mediums. Um, So I got an awful lot of information about myself and about the circles that I should be starting and running. Uh, And so I was really learning all the time that I was there at that time. And whilst I was in London, um, I put out um, uh, an advert in in a a newspaper, which was called the Psychic News, uh, asking for anybody that was interested in starting a circle to get in touch. Uh, And uh, there were several replies and I sort of went to see most of them. Um, But the one that I found was was really impressed me um, was a chap called John Squires, who lived in Romford um, in Essex, uh, not too far out of London. But eventually I started a circle in Romford with this chap and his his, uh, landlady. uh, And a couple of other people joined us over over the years. uh, couple of years that we were running the circle, he was a most fantastic deep trance medium, uh, and he used to bring through all sorts of characters in deep trance uh, and we were sitting also for physical um, but the phenomena there was not very much phenomena at the time I was sitting there. it was mainly just deep trance uh, and uh, we got I got to know him very well and for one reason or another, I moved on from that circle and started another circle elsewhere um, with a medium who was who was sitting who was actually um, a professional medium giving sittings for for the public. Um, in the meantime, um, I was, I, I'd split up my, you know, my wife and I sort of split up and a divorce was sort of looming there. Um, but uh, uh, I was in touch on one occasion. I was just passing through, I'd, I'd left that circle at Romford. I was just passing through Romford and I decided just to pop in one afternoon as I was passing through. And when I I sort of got there, he was actually in the process of interviewing um, two or three new people to sit in, in his own circle. Uh, and uh, one of the people um, who was there uh, was a girl called Sandra. She's just going for her interview. And she actually turned out to be eventually the one I married. And Sandra and I have been married 42 years now. Um, but we ourselves uh, have sort of really become very much a team involved in in psychic research and in starting particular organizations um, to really get things going. Um, While we were in London, we did get married uh, and uh, we bought a house in a place called Harold Wood, which is on the outskirts of of London, Uh, and we had a, a room there that was constantly blacked out. Uh, And we used as our circle room. And we had a circle once a week in there. Uh, And again, we had different sitters um, sort of came and went and so forth. Uh, And uh, uh, it was in that circle. We we started to get some phenomena that would happen in that circle. Levitation. um, We used to have uh, water sprinkled onto us. Um, There were sort of a few psychic lights and bits and pieces. Not all that fantastic, but it, it was Gradually, sort of developing, but what did develop there uh, was teleportation, and it was something we'd never heard of um, within uh, any psychic organisations or within spiritualism. Uh, and uh, this was teleportation of live animals. Uh, and uh, to be to begin with, we after one of our circle sittings in Harold Wood, we came downstairs afterwards. Uh, and uh, went through to the kitchen to make a cup of tea for the sitters, a slice of cake, etc. Uh, and uh, on one of the kitchen surfaces was a cage in which we had one of the daughters uh, had, had got her school hamster in there. Uh, and this cage was still locked, but the hamster was missing. Uh, and uh, we sort of looked high and low. We had everybody from the circle on their knees looking for this blinking hamster uh, in the lounge and couldn't find it. And in the end, Sandra went back into the kitchen and uh, said to Spirit aloud, look, Spirit, if you've got this hamster, bring him back. Uh, And as she stood there and looked at the surface, the the kitchen surface, uh, a bright light appeared on the kitchen surface um, that was was very much um, uh, vibrating uh, and vibrating very fast. And as the vibration slowed down, uh, the form uh, of the hamster appeared and got gradually uh, sort of more and more solid uh, until he was he, he was just back to normal again and that was the first one of the teleportation experiments we'd seen. Uh, they they hadn't harmed the, the animal at all. He was totally okay. Just put him back in 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 the cage. But that happened two or three more times during our sittings at Harold Wood uh, and. Uh, We also had there the same thing happened to our dog. We had a a large sort of um, black uh, collie cross there called Ben. And uh, whenever we came down from the sittings, um, we put him outside and locked the door um, whilst we had tea, etc. But on this one occasion, um, he'd been put outside and the door had been locked to the kitchen. uh, And one of the girls from the circle was bringing our glasses of water down from the sitting. Uh, and we suddenly heard a scream from the kitchen uh, and what had happened was that the dog had really rematerialized with his wet nose on her on her leg. So <laughs> she screamed um, and that was again, that was exactly what Spirit were doing experiments in in teleportation. And that became more and more important um, as we got into our, our later experimental era. Um, but interestingly... Um at one of the sittings we had during the, the Romford Circle and I went back to that. I was asked to go back to that circle um actually by Sandra um shortly after she joined the circle. Uh, and uh, we we actually developed independent voice through that medium. Um plus we had an awful lot of phenomena, levitations, um, you know, solid people standing there and things uh who we were able to interact with. Uh, and at one of those sittings in an independent voice speaking from midair, air um, there was a scientist called Dr Dunn and he spoke to us uh, and he said to us on that occasion, in the future you will be able to get phenomena with just energy and not ectoplasm and it was something that sat with us but of course it never really occurred to us that this was going to be something that we were involved in uh, at that stage but when skull came about many years later, then this chap came back, uh, Doctor Dunn, and said, "I told you so," but uh, <laughs> that was a different thing altogether. So that was um, that was how far we'd sort of got at that stage.
0: One of the things that you. Um wrote about that I found very interesting is that early on in, in your career, I think maybe even in the seances with Elmer Brown, you met Alan Gould, who later became the president of the Society for Psychical Research and uh, in the Skull Report wrote a wonderful testimonial to you – said he had known you for thirty years and never during that time did he have any reason to doubt your integrity.
1: In, absolutely, indeed. I mean, Alan was a regular sitter. Um, you know, he used to attend the circle whenever his wife allowed him to. Uh, <laughs> so he was there a lot. Yeah.
0: There's so much to talk about. I know you attended many, many groups, and and you worked with Leslie uh, Flint for a period of some 30 years, uh, attending his, his many direct voice seances. Let, let's talk about the beginning of the skull. Well, no, wait, let, let, let me back up. Let's talk about the Noah's Ark Society.
1: Yeah, that's that uh, was one of the things that happened along the way. Um, we got involved when we were living in Harold Wood. Um, we, we started to do our own little demonstrations in a local scout hut with mediums we knew were, were good, genuine mediums. Uh, and we met a, a medium... In Romford, in Essex, um, called Eileen Roberts, who was very, very well known as a medium round there, uh, and she um, she ran an organisation called the ISM, which was the Institute of Spiritualist Mediums. I was asked to become the chairman of the Romford branch, which I did, uh, and uh, you know I was. Sort of doing all uh, doing a a lot of work with Eileen Roberts um, into physical mediumship, and whilst I was working with her, um, she had the idea, and also Sandra and I had the idea of bringing back an organization that had started in the 1920s uh, called the Home Circle Link or Link of Home Circles, Uh, and this had been started by a chap called Noah Zerdin, and uh, we. Um we actually sort of um, uh, got in touch. We, we started this within the ISM uh, and we got in touch with circles all over the world uh, who were just ordinary circles doing um, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairaudience. But some of them were physical circles. So we had circles all over the world we were in touch with, uh, including circles in Israel, uh, and in the U in the USA and in the UK, of course, and Australia and various other places. Um but uh, we did actually funnily enough we did did um visit a couple of the member circles in Israel at one time. Um but uh the main thing was that some of we learnt an awful lot about physical mediumship because some of the circles that belonged to that um had mediums who were good physical mediums, materialization mediums, etc. So we did a lot of work on that and, and uh, we worked with Eileen Roberts for about two or three years running that. And then she took over as we got more and more into our own work, and that, uh, which at that time was a Noah's Art Society. But we were going to move. We had to move away um, from London. Uh, and uh, we decided that we were going to rent a property um, sort of somewhere that, that was little bit away from London. Uh, and I had the idea that it would be great to actually rent rent a property um, that had been uh, a vicarage or a rectory, uh, thinking that maybe spiritual work had been done there. So I spent an awful long time going around all the churches and all, all, all the organisations within the Church of England to see if they had any rectories that they were prepared to rent to us. Uh, and... Uh, I, I'd almost given up. I'd, I'd been around about eight or nine different uh, different uh, areas, uh, and uh, I thought, well, I'll just try Norwich. Uh, and uh, I went to see the um, uh, the, the uh, Church of England people in Norwich, and they said, well, actually, yes, we we have got a, a rectory we can we can rent to you for two years. Are you interested? So we sort of said yes, and it was a, a very reasonable price. Uh, And they sort of said, well, you you can either rent it or or buy it after that time. Uh, And so we moved into this rectory, which was absolutely beautiful. Um, The the, uh, C of E vicars and rectors lived very, very well. And they had all the best type of of, uh, furniture and stuff in there. Um, But uh, whilst there, of course, we wanted to continue with a circle. But we didn't really have any sitters ourselves at that time. Um so I looked in in uh, the adverts in the Psychic News uh and I found an advert for um a circle that was sitting in Ilkeston in Derbyshire about 120 miles away uh that was sitting for physical and I went to sit in that circle on a regular basis once a month uh and he was starting to get um direct voice himself in that circle and at one of the sittings um in Ilkeston, in Derbyshire, um, Spirit came through in the independent voice. And it was actually uh, Noah Zerdin that was speaking to us. And he asked us to start an organization. And this was in 1990. He asked us to start an organization to save physical mediumship, because he said a lot of the physical mediums that have have been there in the past are now coming back to Spirit and dying off their elderly. Uh, Nobody seems to be um, developing it. So we need some somebody to get an organization going uh, to bring spirit, uh, physical mediumship back to the world uh, so that it doesn't literally die a death. Uh, and uh, I immediately started with that circle. Uh, and we set up an organization called the Noah's Ark Society. I was the chairman of that for, for many years. And of course, you know, I actually financed it in the beginning. Um, but uh Gradually, we were getting in touch with physical mediums and circles sitting for physical all over the world again. Uh, And um, we actually found amongst our own ranks and members two mediums, one of whom uh, lived in Hull, uh, Stuart uh, Alexander. Um, But he he lived in Hull and he was a very, very good physical medium. Uh, And after we'd been together in that um, uh, in that organization for a year, He admitted that he was a physical medium and he would, uh, he volunteered giving demonstrations of physical mediumship to members of the Noah's Ark Society. Um, The reason we called it the Noah's Ark Society was that, first of all, it was Noah's Erdin that we got the message from. uh, And the Ark of the Covenant, if you like, was something to sort of save um, spirituality in its day and had a lot of spiritual secrets in it. Um, And, and, um, you know, sort of, uh, we were aiming to save physical mediumship, so that was what that was all about. Uh, and also, during the course of, of the Noah's Ark Society, I also discovered a circle sitting down right on the, on the south coast of the UK. Again, it was about a hundred and twenty-mile journey for me, and I sitting weekly, and I started to sit in that circle. Uh, and uh, out of that circle came a physical medium called Colin Fry. Um, who at the time we didn't really want his full name to be known um, because at that time, you know, anybody that became a physical medium had people rapping at their door every day and you know, sort of right through the year trying to get a sitting. Um, but uh, we called him Lincoln, which was sort of an anagram of Colin, really. Uh, and, uh, you know, he had very, very good phenomena. But the very first... Um, overnight seminar that we held uh, was in Leicester uh, and uh, that was in uh, uh, 1991. Uh, and Colin Fry at that time demonstrated for us there were 100 delegates and we had a sitting uh, in the hotel there for 100 people. And the most fantastic physical medium mediumship occurred, phenomena occurred whilst we were there. Uh, and that brought the, the um uh, when that went into the, the psychic news brought a lot more members along so the Noah's Ark society became sort of very well known uh and uh Sandra and I left the Noah's Ark Society eventually in two um in uh nineteen ninety four because at that time we'd started the skull experiment uh and we were asked by our spirit team um to walk away from the Noah's Ark Society which had already done its job, it had saved physical mediumship, interest in physical mediumship all over the world, uh, had rocketed. Uh, and so really, we had done exactly what Spirit wanted us to do. Uh, and then they wanted us to get on with something different, which was the skull experiment.
0: Now, the skull experiment has become quite famous. Some people regard it as, as the most significant physical evidence of mediumship in in support of the idea of uh, postmortem survival uh, that we've seen in the last hundred years. So, let, let's talk about how that came about.
1: Well, it was purely and simply the fact that we were um, we were living at this rectory Um, in a place called Postwick, or Posick as the locals called it, just outside Norwich in the UK. Uh, And after two years in the rectory, um, the Church of England came back to us and said, right, do you want to buy the rectory? Well, we didn't because there was a big crack in the the back wall of the rectory uh, and we didn't fancy spending thousands of pounds on sorting that out. Um, So we thought, well, we, we need to rent another property but one that's big enough for our sittings. Uh, and uh, whilst we were there, um, Sandra got the local paper, um, which was the East Anglian um, Times, I think, or similar. Uh, and uh, it was it covered the whole of East Anglia. Uh, and in there was an advert, um, pretty much similar to the one that we'd I'd seen in in Leicester years previously that stood out to her as it was in bold type when it wasn't. Uh, and it offered um, uh, a farmhouse to rent. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it didn't actually say what the rent was. It didn't say where the property was. It just said a, a farmhouse. Uh, and uh, so they they had in the advert that you had to apply to a, um, an estate office um, for, you know, to, to get a, an interview. Um, with the chap that owned it all uh, and uh, I immediately went and got a form um, to sort of put into this chap because I felt that Sandra had seen this, she felt it was right and she's actually more psychic than I am uh, and uh, so we sort of, we applied to to rent this property, we didn't know where it was. The interesting thing is that when we had been um, in London Uh, We had been doing um, some genealogy on on our roots. And Sandra's family came from Norfolk. Her father uh, and that family came from Norfolk. So very frequently we would sort of spend a weekend um, looking at graves in in, in churchyards and things and trying to, um, you know, sort of suss out uh, who was in Sandra's family. Uh, And when we did that, we would often stay uh, at a, a hotel called the Skole Inn, which was in a little village called Skoll, uh in uh, right on the borders of Norfolk and Suffolk. It actually sat in Norfolk, but at the bottom of the village, you went across a river, and that was Suffolk. Uh, and uh, so we knew Skole itself. Um, and on one occasion, um, we were in a, 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 a four well, it was, it, it was actually a four-poster bedroom. Uh, overlooking at the side, uh, a, a, an old farmhouse. Uh, and Sandra, on one occasion, looked out of the window, and this is way before we we applied for this one. Looked out of the window and said to me, "Gosh, you know, that's a nice house there. I suppose it must belong to the manager of the of this inn. Um, you know, but like I'd like something like that." Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> You can imagine when we eventually got, we we had to meet the owner of this estate and he owns about 100 houses. Uh, And it's a fellow called Sir uh, Rupert Mann. Uh, And uh, we we, um, met him and he interviewed us and uh, he sort of said, well, I'll let you know if you're suitable, you know, sort of thing. He said, I've just interviewed someone else. Uh, but we had been sitting outside for an hour or so before our time for the interview and nobody had come out. So we thought, well, that was just his ploy uh, to sort of see if, he, if we, he thought we were undesirables to kick us out. Um, but anyway, he decided that we were OK to rent his property. Uh, and it turned out that uh, he allowed his um, his secretary to drive us to a property which was going to be the one. Uh, and we just could not believe our eyes because... When we drove into this the the drive of this farmhouse, it was the exact house that Sandra had looked out of the skull in at and said, "I'd love I'd I love that house." Uh, and she she had had um, um, years previously, even before she knew me, she'd had sittings with local mediums, and she'd been told that uh, she would live in a property, uh, and that, that there were it was absolutely there were trees around a very very ancient tree. They said. Uh, and that there were, it was all connected with s's uh, and uh you know sort of anyway it turned out to be evidential because it was skull it was street street farmhouse um it was the sign for the skull in virtually literally hung over our our house uh and she had had dreams in which she'd seen um this room um with fireplaces with with um uh, motifs written across the fireplace. Uh, and anyway, we went to see this property uh, and the property had been built in about 1600 uh, and it had two cellars uh, and, uh, you know, it was absolutely perfect. But there were there were two fireplaces. One in the lounge um, said, welcome ever smiles uh, over the fireplace. And it was all, all sort of um, um, encrypted into the wood of, of the fireplace. Uh, and in the the end room, which was our our library to begin with, um, it, it said, um, uh, after work rest and after rest work, uh, a s- similar sort of thing. But we could see it was in a bad state and we had to do it up ourselves. uh that's port- part of the deal, but we got a fairly low rental for that. So that's how we got to Skoll. Uh, and uh, we used to call this, this chap, um, uh, Sir Rupert Mann, Mr. 10%, because every year he came along for a rent review. And every year he put the rent up by 10%. But uh, <laughs> the long and the short, it, we absolutely loved it in this place. And uh, we started sitting, uh, you know, and we, we brought in one or two people who had sat with us in the rectory, finally, because we'd, we'd used um, the study in the rectory to sit in previously. Uh, and so that's how the school group started. Uh, and in in the, in the new, in, in the um Uh, In the Noah's Ark Society, uh, two of the members had volunteered volunteered their services to renovate one of the cellars uh, so that we could use it for sitting in, uh, because it was an awful state when we first got to this farmhouse. Uh, So they did that Uh, and uh, the first few sittings we had were in the library uh, and then when it was finished, uh, we moved down to, um, uh, to the cellar, which we call the skull hole.
0: I understand uh, from your uh, book about all of this that uh, Stuart Alexander came and actually uh, did one of the very first seances there.
1: Yes, he did indeed. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were told that it would be dedicated by spirit and his spirit came and dedicated it. Yeah
0: and And then, at that time, uh, a lot of phenomena began. Something about the chemistry of the four of you, you and Sandra, and the uh, two other mediums who worked with you seemed to produce an extraordinary amount of phenomena.
1: well, they they did actually, but I think it take it'll take quite a long time to go into that. Uh, and uh, I think we should maybe leave that for another situation, but because to begin with, we did use that cellar for demonstrating uh, physical phenomena to, to members of the Noah's Ark Society. Uh, and, and that really carried on until 1994. Um, but in, in 1993, um, we, started, we started to get results um, with, the, with, with the skull experiment. And, and that was our own sitting, our own group. So that really has to be separated from what was going on with um, with the the demonstrations by Colin Fry uh, and by Stuart Alexander um, down in the uh, in in the coal hole or the skull hole as we used to call it. Um, but I I think perhaps you know if it's all right with you we could carry on um, another session to cover exactly what happened with skull.
0: Well, I would be delighted to do that. I think that uh you you have such a wealth of experience we've just covered several decades of it worth in 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 the last hour so I know we're just scratching the surface but your story is so important I want to make sure that we cover it in as much detail as as we can do Robin so uh, I'm I'm delighted that you're willing to continue with me and uh, hopefully we'll have many more conversations
1: Yeah, I certainly hope we will, Joe. Well,
0: for now, Robin, thank you so much for being with me. This has been a wonderful uh, pleasure and a a joy, and uh, it's been enlightening as well.
1: (laughs) Jolly good. Okay, well, we can carry on next time.
0: (laughs) And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us.